One of the things that stops small business owners from creating marketing content consistently is this feeling of being uninspired, of having no idea what to say in the first place. If you can relate to this, you are in good company. So many of us struggle with knowing what our marketing content should actually be about. But I am here to help. I have come up with 100 prompts that you can use to guide your marketing from your social media posts to your emails to your longer form content. I guarantee that these prompts will get you inspired and that you'll have more ideas than you even know what to do with. You can download this list of 100 marketing prompts for free at makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100 prompts. That's makinggoodpodcast.com slash 100-P-R-O-M-P-T-S. Welcome back to Making Good, the podcast for small businesses who want to make a big impact. This is episode 16, and before I get into the episode, I just wanted to stop and say thank you. Thank you so much to all of you for listening, for messaging me to tell me what you took away from each episode, for connecting with me on Instagram and by email. Podcasting is kind of weird in that you release each episode into the world and you can watch your download numbers and other statistics, but you don't really get direct feedback on it unless people go out of their way to connect with you. It makes my day to hear from you and it also helps me know what kind of content you'd like to see on the show. So thank you so much. Today, I have a very special guest on the podcast, Raina Pomeroy. Many of you probably know Raina already. She's a life and business coach who runs her own company, Raina & Co. She helps her clients get super focused on their work and get paid for doing what they love. Raina runs a program called Dreamy Client Magnet and facilitates community at Modern Fertility. For 250 episodes, she also co-hosted the very popular small business podcast, Creative Empire, which is still available to listen to, and I'll post a link in the show notes. I've alluded to attending a business retreat that was kind of my first foray into building small business community. Reyna was the leader of that retreat, and I've learned so much from her. In our conversation, we covered how to change your mindset. Reyna gives the example of changing her own mindset around money, combating mindset issues like fear and perfectionism, the importance of getting clear on your why and your target customer how to know whose advice to take, what Raina's high-achieving clients have in common, some practical tools you can use to cultivate a balanced mindset, how to deal with imposter syndrome, why diversity and inclusion is so important, ways to support underrepresented and marginalized communities in your business, using your business to donate to causes you care about, and more. I realize I always say this, but this is a really good one. Here's our interview. Raina, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much for having me, Lauren. I am so excited to have you on the show. Um, you are one of the first people that I thought about when I was thinking about who I wanted to interview. Um, and I talked a little bit in the intro about how I know you and you know how we got to know each other. But I would love for you, for anyone who doesn't know you, to introduce yourself and your business story and maybe give some context on how you, where you are now. Yeah. So it's definitely evolved. So I've been with Raina and co. I started Raina and co about five years ago and I am a business and life coach. I work with a lot of creative entrepreneurs, 
really to help them get laser focused on what it is that they're really good at um, and connect the dots between all of the sort of uh, meandering things that people have done. I'm sure no one can relate to this, but really it's about booking more dreamy clients with ease and getting paid to do and like paid to do like what they love to do. Right. And having that freedom and flexibility to enjoy everything. And I think that by getting Mm -hmm. laser focused on those things, you can, you can really hone in on what it is that you're really, really good at. You don't have to look at all the competition and you get to enjoy the space that you take up. And so this is just about like how you show up in the world, but also like what it is that you deliver to the people that you love to deliver it for. And um, I think that like I get on this like ramble about all of this stuff, but I get really excited about this work. And what's really funny in in um, the past year or so is that I switched from being full time Raina and Co and coaching women entrepreneurs to taking a full time job at a company called Modern Fertility. I run their community now, and it's been really cool to to take everything that I've learned in building my own business and turning it into you know a, an arm of another company and doing doing something that I'm super passionate about. So um, a lot of different things. And I'm also really uh, inspired by and motivated by really mission-driven brands and businesses. So this conversation is going to be super fun. Hmm. Yes. Yeah. One of the, the main sort of thing that I think about when I think about you is mindset, because at least in my time working with you, that's been kind of the biggest thing that I saw shift was... Yeah. Just realizing that your success is not so much about the tactics and the strategies and like what marketing platform you use. It's really about how you think and Mm -hmm. where your thoughts take you. Yeah, absolutely. Um, So I'd love to jump into a conversation about mindset. And over the overarching sort of question I want to answer is how does our mindset affect our business results. Mm-hmm. Um, so maybe where we could start is like, how do we know what our mindset is now? Like if someone is new to the, like thinking about their mindset, how could they identify kind of where they're at now and where they might need to make some changes? Yeah, this is like the million dollar question, right? To be able to answer this in a succinct way for everyone to be able to relate to is very, very difficult. But I guess the the way to back into this question is where do you get stuck in your thinking? What gets you held back? Um, And I think that one of the the biggest things that I've learned from my training as a coach is to look at where people lose perspective. When when we talk about, you know, an issue Mm -hmm. and we feel like we don't have any choices, we don't have any other way out, that's when we're, we lose our perspective. You can't see the forest from the trees. And so when you're in that space, that's when you realize, oh, we, we realize that we, we need to find a way out. And typically there is a way out as long as it's not, you know, uh, like a really physical boundary or, um, a really, um, a societal systematic issue that is constraining us, oftentimes there are um, perspective shifts that we can make in order to change the situation we're in. So I think that mm-hmm. this concept is really more il- well illustrated in examples. So I think we can talk about examples or, you know, however that makes sense for you. But um, mindset is one of those things that is always going to be changing and shifting. And even if you keep working on it, which I think we all should, um, it's very incredibly important 
important to notice how we're growing in our mindset and being able to see where we've been and where we're going. So, um, for example, I don't know if examples are helpful for you, but they are very helpful. Yeah, for me. So no, just I love one an of the, Yeah. So one of the things that I, I want to just like call out, I had a very limited mindset thing when I started my business around money, which is kind of a weird thing to say as a business coach, right? Like it's mm-hmm. weird to say like, Oh, you're a business coach, but you're, you're like, you have a money limitation. And I think that, you know, there's a little bit of this scarcity mindset that I was coming in with. I came in as a social worker. So I had my training as an MSW, was trained uh, licensed therapist. And, you know, I started this business really wanting to help people with their mindset. And what I realized mm-hmm. re- relatively early on is that I was carrying this social worker mindset where people were not getting paid anything in order to do the work that they were doing. And I had a t-shirt that I often talk about that said, we'll work for change and have like an illustration of pennies on it. Like that's the mindset that I came into business with. Right. And so Mm. that's what I've had to evolve. And I didn't know that that's where I was stuck, but my perspective has definitely shifted because I'm able to like call out, you know what, this is a limitation I have and I need to work on this perspective shift. And often when we're in this like sort of desperate, I need more client space. Um, we're not able to say like where we have abundance in our lives and our businesses. So I don't know if that helps, but maybe that's a place where we can start. Yeah, that helps a lot. So when we think about people who you, you can see that their mindset is really holding them back, are there common themes of, you know, you mentioned money um, was mm-hmm. one of something that you struggled with, but are there other common themes you see coming up a lot when it comes to just from the outside, your perspective, looking at someone and being able to see that their mindset is holding them back in some way. Yeah, for sure. I think there's a lot of different things that have common threads. So one is mm-hmm. uh, absolutely the biggest one is fear, fear of blank, and it can be anything. So fear of success, fear of failure, fear of not being able to compare to somebody else in their lives, feeling uh, fear that they're going to be laughed at. Um really any any sort of input that people can fear it has happened um i think that's one that keeps people from taking action and i think one of the biggest things especially at the beginning of businesses mm-hmm. people don't want to get criticized by their um like in group which is like typically their families their friends who quote unquote supposedly support them but you know their friends and family often are the people who limit limit them the most because you're breaking out of this perspective of what this person has been doing for the past X number of years and stepping out and saying, you know what, I want to do this thing and I want to pursue it full time or whatever the the thing is, you're calling that out and that breaks the mold of whatever your parents or your friends think of you already. And so that's, that can be really scary. And sometimes the the anticipation of fear is actually bigger than the actual uh, judgment that people get. Another thing is perfection. Um, people want to be perfect or perceived to be perfect. So they have to have their website up before something happens, or they have to have all of their ducks in a row before they can start their businesses or whatever it is. And I think that sometimes just uh, doing too much preparation actually holds them back from, from being able to get things out the door. Um, so those are some of the most common ones that I see. I don't know what your experience with um, mindset has been for you. 
Yeah. For me, I struggle with both of those things. I feel like (laughs) um, on the first one, it's more around like what everyone else is going to be thinking of, like how Mm -hmm. people would react to what I'm putting out there. So a lot of times I will be wanting to like this podcast, for example, wanting to put this podcast out into the world. Like there are these people that would come up in my head that I have not seen in like a decade that I was sort of like, oh my gosh, what would that person think about this? You know? Mm -hmm. And it's so silly when you can really get some perspective around it, but it's, Unless you kind of are able to step back and look at it, I don't want to use the word rationally, but like from from a 30,000 foot view, let's say, like when you can get some space from it, it's, it is silly, but mm-hmm. in the moment, it's so easy to just like, let that stop you if yeah. you don't kind of recognize that it's happening. That's absolutely valid, right? Like to fear somebody's judgment or criticism is, is a way that our, um, our brain has evolved to protect us. our fear Mm -hmm. is in place so that we don't jump off of a cliff. But the part about fear that's really challenging is that it can limit us from doing cool stuff. (laughs) And Mm -hmm. because we fear this thing that we think is going to hurt us in the end, and it's often not going to be the case, right? Like, yeah, it might sting to get like negative criticism, but honestly, is it going to hurt more not to do the work that you're meant to do? Um, So that's, that's one thing. And then the bigger thing too is, is what's the overall big picture of why you're doing something? And to ask yourself, you know what, is the criticism or the judgment or the questions or the comments worth it to be able to do this thing that you've been dreaming about for however long? And some oftentimes mm-hmm. the answer is yes, right? Like it's worth it, even though it might sting in the moment, it's going to be worth it to persevere and get to the other side of that. Right. And one thing I really learned from you is to be focused on who you're serving. Like sometimes when you get out of your own head and stop making it about you and what people think of you and like the, you know, what your business looks like and really think about what impact you're trying to make on the world or on specific people's lives. Like then it almost feels selfish not to go Mm -hmm. do the thing. Yeah. Um, I find that reframe to be really helpful. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. You, you are the mindset queen. Um, No, I love that. But because here's the thing is that, you know, one person that might hold you back as like a random example, I heard my client say, you know what? I started my business because I wanted to show my ex off. (laughs) I wanted to, (laughs) I wanted to like be bigger than that. And like his comments were in the back of her mind when she started her business and she Mm -hmm. wanted to be better than that. And she realized that he is not her target demographic. And no matter what he said, whether or not, you know, she wasn't really talking to him. So it wasn't really about that. It was like the projected thing that he would potentially say. And no matter what Mm -hmm. he could have said, it really didn't matter because her target demographic was a totally different audience and they weren't you know, they aren't the same people as him. So I think that's kind of the thing that, um, that I come back to as well, whenever I'm in a space of being getting funky, like if, if you're getting stuck on who you're serving and like whose inputs you should get, you have to ask yourself, who are the people that matter? Um, I, I had a five mm-hmm. by five card for a very, very long time. And this five by five was like, who are the five people that matter? And if like, if push comes to shove and these five people's opinions are the only ones that matter, like write those down for yourself. And if, if you know, your ex mm. doesn't really matter, then you can kind of not worry about their opinion. 
five by five card. What, so what does that mean? Yeah. So five people who, mm-hmm. who, whose opinions at the end of the day, if they said something about, you know, something disparaging about whatever it is that you're doing, you would gut check it against whatever they say. But if they're not on that card, mm-hmm. then you don't worry about their opinion. Okay. I love that. Yeah. Yeah. I feel like it's, it's important to, I mean, I guess I'm thinking about more advice than, um, criticism, but it is important to think about who you're taking your advice from and whose perspective on your journey you are letting kind of influence you because Mm -hmm. I don't know, you know, the, the, the classic examples of people at school or our peer group, like letting those people dictate our lives, like is not, it's not productive. Yeah, for sure. I actually heard somebody say something really interesting about this particular topic. She said, um, if you wouldn't trade your life with that person, right? Like even for a day, then you probably shouldn't take their advice. Yeah. If you don't want to be where they are. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, not to say mm-hmm. that you can't learn something from other people's experiences, but I think that you're absolutely right. There's plenty of people you could take advice from, but who do you really want to be listening to? Yeah. So you have a lot of your clients are high performers, high achievers in the small business, creative business world. What do they have in common? What can we learn from? Like, do you see common threads throughout many or all of them that we can learn from? Yeah, this is such an interesting question. So I think the biggest thing they have in common is that my clients have a million ideas. They are super creative. They have Mm -hmm. 25,000 things that they want to achieve in their lives at the same time. And I think that the biggest struggle that they have is that they don't know how to prioritize or like it, it becomes really challenging to see what they should do first or how to project manage or who to delegate some of these things to in order to make it happen. But the one thing that they have in common is that once they have a direction, they can go full steam ahead. They are super passionate. They're Mm -hmm. fired up. They are uh, people that other people want to follow. Um, And it's so exciting to watch these people because they are, you know, absolute fire once they have, you know, the the thing um, organized and the right people. And I think that what gets in the way, like I said, is like the disorganization of like, I have all of the ideas. I don't know what to do first. Um, So like once you can get that organized, get it in place, get it all sorted out. It's easy for them to take action on. Hmm. I can relate to that. (laughs) Like having a lot of ideas and being like, uh, just not knowing where to start and how to prioritize. Do you have any tips on like how to narrow that down and have more of a focus? Yeah, it's a couple different things. So one is that I think every creative should have a coach, especially if there's something that Mm -hmm. like business wise, you really want to drive because you really can't do this work on your own, right? Like you're, you're meant to be a creative and somebody has to help you in organizing all those thoughts um, and helping you to see like, if you do this first, this will also happen. Or like, if you create this resource, then you'll be able to do something bigger in the future. And to be able to kind of weigh those trade-offs is really, really helpful. And sometimes if you're in the work, it's hard to see those things. And then the second thing is like making sure that as part of your creative process, you're not just doing work, 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 uh, but you have to create time to one, imagine in your business and to like make time for creating. Often what I see is like creative people who sell off their creative energy and then don't have creative time to like recharge um, and are become mm-hmm. very depleted. 
Uh, and so like making sure that you build in that time into your schedule, into your life is really incredibly important. Mm-hmm. On that topic, you have something called the CEO weekly report or yes. CEO report card, something mm-hmm. like that. Could you share with everyone what that is? Because I think it's so brilliant. Yeah. So this is a template that I created for myself. And then my editor <laughs> told me, Hey, is this an opt-in? You need to, you need to create this. Um, so it's become a thing, but it's basically a type form, which is kind of like a Google form type thing, but it's on type form, the platform. And, um, it's a survey for myself to do every single Friday to check in. It's like a business journal. Like what did I set out to do this week? How did I feel within the week? What did I accomplish? Um, Um, What are the things that I'm proud of? What am I um, discouraged by, encouraged by? It's sort of like a pulse check on what has happened. And it's really, really helpful to be able to identify um, not only like the revenue wins and like the the, uh, quantitative wins in our businesses, but also the qualitative Mm -hmm. stuff. Um, I think that to be able to sort of correlate, oh, I'm feeling really depleted, even though I feel like I have a lot of revenue coming in. um, Or, you know, I took a lot of time off this week, but I'm feeling a little bit sluggish or, you know, feeling not so energized by the work that I'm doing, what's going on. And like to be able to kind of correlate and match those two things up is really mm-hmm. helpful for me. Um, and at the end of the quarter, I look at the results and then I look at them at the end of a uh, quarter two, and then I do it at the end of the year again. And it's just a nice way to do um, like a check-in every so often, because how often is it that we kind of like let months and months go by without doing a whole lot of reflection? And you're like, wait, what did I actually accomplish this year? <laughs> right? What mm-hmm. have I done so far? And that, that can be like a detriment yeah. to us. And it doesn't give us a whole lot to go back on and like figure out how to improve and optimize, optimize the, the year later. Mm-hmm. It's easy to look back and wonder what you even did. But Mm -hmm. if you were to check in every single week and sort of have a log of what you've accomplished. And I don't know, looking back at that, I feel like this is something I've always wanted to implement implement, and I'm re-inspired because I, I love the idea of just having a log, I guess, of what you accomplished, what you work on, like, like you said, being able to track different behaviors to results. And yeah, I just think it's so smart. Yeah. I mean, I think that one of the things too, that I often forget is like, Oh, which Instagram post did the best or like just sort of like those anecdotal, it can be like very data driven Mm -hmm. or kind of anecdotal things that you can document and then look back on at the end of the year and say, Oh my gosh, these are the things that perform the best for me um, versus like what everyone else says that you need to do. So I think it's one of those things that you want to balance for yourself. I will say that it takes only about like seven minutes for me to do it every week. um, And it's not a whole lot of a burden. It just takes like, I don't know, 15 minutes to set up and put it on your Google calendar to happen every single Friday at a certain time. And you just get it done. Love it. Do you have a link where people can download your template? Um, I think it is at rainandco.com forward slash CEO hyphen report. Perfect. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. And I would recommend you duplicate it and then create your own. (laughs) Because <laughs> if you right. type into that form, <laughs> yeah. you, I, I'll get the results, but you won't get the results. So create your own. Yeah. Yes. Good. <laughs> Good reminder. Circling back to mindset a little bit, what yeah. are some practices that are helpful to kind of step up your mindset or 
you know, I don't know whether it's visualization or journaling, like, do you have any favorite go-tos that you recommend to your clients? Yeah, my very first one and the one that I always come back to is called the Grateful Heart. It's um, literally a piece of paper folded in half on the left, like set a timer. And on the left-hand side, you write all the things that you're worried about. Look at your calendar. What are the things that are coming up that you're kind of dreading? Conversations you need to have, deadlines that are looming. Um, I don't know, going to visit whomever you need to visit the things that are kind of like weighing on you, right? All the worries on the mm-hmm. left-hand side. Fold it over so you can't see it and spend two minutes brainstorming all the things that you're grateful for. Like once you dump all of that worry off, what else is left, right? What's the gratitude that's left? I often found that when I just did a gratitude practice, I would kind of be worrying about these things and those things would kind of be pressing on me so much so that I couldn't focus enough on the actual feeling of gratitude. And by Mm. dumping out all the stuff, I'm able to focus more on just the goodness and knowing that that list that awaits me is still there and I don't have to quote unquote worry about it. I love the acknowledging of the tough things like that you can kind of hold both of those things at once. Yes. There's all these things stressing me out and hard things going on. And, you know, especially right now, Mm-hmm. 2020 has been quite a ride for almost everyone. So acknowledging that there are a lot of things that aren't going well, mm-hmm. like that doesn't mean you can't also be grateful. Yeah, I'm a very anxious person. Um, and just so if anyone can identify mm-hmm. with that, I think that it really helps to call yes. it out and say, acknowledge <laughs> the fact that you're feeling this way. And that's okay. You don't have to just be like, you know, I think a lot of these gratitude practices sort of discourage us to feel the real feels. And for me, it's important for me to call call those things out and know that they're there. And on top of that, I still have gratitude. So it's kind of like that duality. Right. Do you have any other favorite mindset practices? I mean, meditating, but I'm not great at it. Um, Another thing that I really love to do is walk journaling. Um, So I turn on my voice memo Mm -hmm. and I will just go for a long walk and talk it out. I might look like a crazy person, but I often just look like I'm talking (laughs) to somebody on the phone. And literally, like I I have a couple prompts that I'll like put on my notes app on my phone and I'll just talk through them. Like things that are bothering me Mm -hmm. or things that I'm like thinking through or like I want to brainstorm. I'll just talk them out um, while I'm walking because I'm I'm a very uh, verbal processor. And so to be able to do that and then have documentation of it later on is really, really helpful. That's smart. Do you, are you doing like a dictation thing or is it a, like an audio file? It's literally just a voice memo on my phone. Um, and if I think that there's something like brilliant in it, then I'll get it transcribed. But often it's just like getting it out helps me kind of like emotionally process anything process that I'm that. working through. Yeah. Right. Love and that. also therapy. Thank you I mean, for sharing. Yeah, absolutely. I think oh, therapy yes. is also helpful. <laughs> Oh, yes. Okay. Another thing I want to talk to you about is imposter syndrome, which is definitely related to mindset. Um, For anyone who doesn't know what imposter syndrome is, could you talk a little bit about it? And, um, you know, I think this is something that it's important to talk about. I mean, I'll just raise my hand and say I experience it all the time. Mm -hmm. So any like first to everyone listening, like, let's acknowledge that everyone experiences this, but how, how can we move past it? Yeah. Um, I think the first thing is that we often think and generalize through imposter syndrome that everybody else, other people are 
incredibly qualified or overqualified and we minimize our qualifications and we think that we are incredibly underqualified. And often what it feels like is I'm not enough. I don't have enough awesome things to say. I'm not blank enough, like pretty enough, smart enough, whatever enough. And I am not good to do X, Y, and Z. And I think that this is such a, a, like a very mindset oriented thing that we were talking about. And it's very much our fear coming up and it's trying to protect us. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think one of the biggest things here is that if we have, um, are able to create evidence of the, the, um, opposite of not enough in whatever situation mm-hmm. is coming up, I think it's really helpful to be able to just, uh, call those things out and acknowledge them. Um, one of the things that <laughs> this is such a silly example, but I recently started to commit myself to doing Twitter for whatever reason. I just want to like mm-hmm. learn more about Twitter to use Twitter. I have like 32 followers that are like mostly my like (laughs) friends or like family. Right. And I have zero platform on there, no social credibility. And that's okay. Like it feels very intimidating, but it's okay. Cause I haven't spent any time on it. Mm -hmm. It's kind of how I felt when I started my Instagram, uh, which I think now I have the swipe up. So like (laughs) it feels more legit than my 32 followers on Twitter. And I think that, you know, it feels intimidating to, to start out and be like, you know what, I don't have any voice on this platform and I'm not good enough. Or like, I don't, I don't feel like I'm qualified to share anything because no one follows me. But I think that we need to challenge ourselves. This is like such a stupid example, but for me, it was kind of like a commitment to show up anyway, um, to practice Mm -hmm. what I preach on Instagram and say, you know what, it doesn't matter who's following yet. I'm talking to the people that I want to be talking to and I'm creating a community. I'm, I'm beginning the, I'm laying the groundwork for the community that I want to build in the future. So that's kind of like a, a silly example to say like show up anyway, even if you feel like you're not as qualified as you want. And I think that, you know, the people mm-hmm. who, who we see are succeeding are the people who did it, even if they didn't have it all figured out. They didn't always have the website that was perfect. They didn't have the tens of thousands of followers. They didn't have the perfect videos to put up there, but they did it anyway. And most of the people Mm -hmm. that are following them now didn't follow them back then. So that's kind of like where I start with imposter syndrome and say, you know what, you are good enough and you have something to share. And it's, it's worth doing, even if it feels really scary right now. Yeah. A big topic on the podcast so far that's just come up sort of organically has been that the only way you get better at something is by doing it. Like the Mm -hmm. only way you become someone who can do a good job podcasting or become someone who is effective on social media or I don't know, has does Instagram lives with confidence. Like the only way you go from zero to success in whatever arena it is, is by doing it. And that, I mean, it seems pretty obvious, but to me, it always feels like kind of an epiphany because I'm like, oh, like, you know, no one starts out good at um, anything, like almost across the board. So, yeah, it's so funny because you see these like, especially in business, you see these people who have like are killing it now. Right. And you think, oh, my gosh, I wish I had X, Y and Z. I wish I had, you know, her exact life or whatever. 
and I'm never going to be like that, or I'm not going to be good enough to do that. And you realize that, that you have to realize that the backstory is so much more complicated, just the way that you feel complicated. Like your life is a meandering and it doesn't feel as clear. The reason why they've made it to where they are is because they've done the work to get it clear and they took action. And the only way through the fear is through it. <laughs> like it's the most cliche thing because it's true. Um, so I think, you know, one step right. at a time, one decision at a time, um, you know, if it's fear of posting something on social because you feel like everyone's watching and no one's watching at the same time, which is how I felt about Twitter. I just did it. <laughs> ripped off the bandaid and do it. And maybe you'll get one or two likes in the beginning, but you know what? Keep at it. A few years from now, you'll have more than, you know, what you anticipate and that's okay. And like, take your time to, to win over every single mm-hmm. person that you want to win over. Yeah. So shifting gears a little bit, one of the things that I've always loved about you is your willing to your willingness to stand up for what you believe in and what is right. Um, on this topic, in the small business world, you were one of the first people I saw a few years ago talking about diversity and inclusion. Um, why? Why is this important to you? And why? Why would you encourage everyone listening to be thinking about that? Oh man. I remember when we re- we were originally supposed to record this video and we were both in a really mm-hmm. tender place um, with all the racial injustices that were happening in the world. And I'm, I'm glad that we have got, gotten some perspective and time to be able to process this. But I think that the work is always going forward. And to answer your original question, um, I think mm-hmm. diversity, inclusion and representation has always been important to me because I think that we're better when other voices are standing alongside us. And, uh, you know, whenever I'm in a room, because I'm often one of the only Asian people in the room, um, I'm always cognizant of the fact that I am usually a token. (laughs) And, you know, it's, it's interesting because I want more voices to be heard so that we can have different, different cool perspectives, you know, and, um, I think it's very limiting to um, like any minority group to feel like they're the only person, but also like other people are speaking for them. I feel like I'm not being very, mm-hmm. being very articulate about this. I think it's just like the it, no. it's ingrained in me that it's so important to do this because that's that's why you know that's what the world looks like, and to ignore it is to do you know the work injustice. Um, so yeah, mm-hmm. I think it's like it has to be part of the fabric of the creative entrepreneur business. And if we are exclusive, then I don't want to really be part of it. <laughs> and I think that like oftentimes right. we don't consciously do this. Um, but, and I've heard this so many times, like, well, I don't know anyone who looks like blank, whatever the, you know, minority Mm -hmm. status is. And, uh, you know, the biggest call to action for me is like, find people just, just go reach out to people, not because they're a particular color or, you know, have a particular identification, but because they have really interesting content to share or they have a different perspective Mm -hmm. than you. Um, And I think that if we just look at the sort of color of their skin or, you know, however they identify, it it can be really limiting and um, not, not a great way to, to feel approached. So Yeah. That was Mm -hmm. not a very succinct answer. I just think it's like the right thing to do. (laughs) Yeah. Yes. I know. I have a hard time with it with that. That was a very hard question I asked you because 
to me, it's like I'm not a person of color, but so I can't speak to that experience at all. But like being gay, it's it's always means so much to me when I see people talk about it, when I see people open about it. Um, I talked about on a pod, on a solo podcast a couple episodes ago that the first time in the calligraphy world that I stumbled upon another gay calligrapher, mm-hmm. I was like so excited and also it just stood out to me so much and I didn't really realize it at the time but thinking back later I realized like you know I'd been in this world of people talking about weddings and like there's a lot of like kind of religious content in the calligraphy world and it always kind of made me feel like a little bit uneasy just not knowing where everyone stood like in a world of people who still don't like you know we have cake makers and uh, wedding vendors that won't serve same-sex couples so it just meant so much to me to be able to see a calligrapher who was open about her identity like she worked on weddings that weren't just straight white people like to me, it, I know that for me, it's meant a lot to see that. So that has helped me have a little bit of perspective around why it's important. It's not enough to be like colorblind, I guess. Like you have to be actively yeah. looking for representation. Yeah, I think that's right. And I yeah. think that, you know, there's a lot of different ways we can do this in our businesses. And we can definitely talk about this tactically because I think that often it feels like an insurmountable thing to do as a small business owner, right? Like a one person does not make a brand diverse, <laughs> right? So like right. if you're a white person, you can't be diverse by yourself and it would be very performative mm-hmm. to include somebody who's black just because they're black um, and do it once. Mm-hmm. But how can you do it in a sustainable way? How can you um, bake it into the business that you want to create? But, you know, here's the thing. It's not just about... Um, including black voices. It's about all the things, like all the decisions you make, you have to bake it into your business for it to be the core of your business. Um, Mm-hmm. So I think that that's what's important. And um, I think back to the very yeah, first let's brainstorm. Yeah. Um, the very first branding exercise I did. Um, I don't know if you know about my visionary Jordan. She's my dreamy ideal client. If you go to my website and you check out my, I think it's the, on the about us page. Um, there's a picture of Jordan mm-hmm. and it's an illustration that um, a black designer did. And I wanted her to be race ambiguous and gender ambiguous ambiguous, although I think she skews on the more women side, uh, which is fine because my dreamy client is really more of a woman um, or, you know, identifies more femme. And I think that Mm -hmm. the the biggest thing here is that I wanted to like make sure that people who landed on my page felt uh, seen in that description and Mm -hmm. the, the visuals. And so that was the first exercise I did. Um, the iteration that you see on my website now is like a, a many times done over, but she's the same exact person as she is now. And um, mm-hmm. so I think thinking through like, how do we tactically do this? You can brainstorm who it is that your dreamy client is. That's one way to do it. And making sure that you're not just, you know, if your audience is very white, then how do you, how do you diversify that? If your audience is... Um, what's the word I'm looking for? If that's who your dreamy client is and they're very race specific, then I think you have a racist brand. Sorry to call that out. Yeah. Um, but yes, if thank you're you for saying that, <laughs> 
Um, but I think that if, you know, they have a particular psychographic and they can be race ambiguous, then I think you should think about that. Like, what? how do you represent that? Because if all of your testimonials are coming from white people, then that's who your client is going to think that, that is your dreamy client, right? Um, so how can you diversify that? Maybe, you know, brainstorm ways that you can work with um, other types of folks that don't look like the people you have currently on your website. Um, mm-hmm. Stock photography is one way that we can diversify, right? Thinking through like what types of hands do we want in our photos? Um, mm-hmm. Do we, you know, what is the identity of the person that you're really trying to attract? Um, you can also think about who you're spending money with, whose content yeah. you're consuming. I mean, these are all things that we can kind of record a full podcast episode about. Right. Like, if you're buying a client gift, could you buy from somebody who identifies as something different than you? Right. That's mm-hmm. just one one way of trying to spend more money and like paying other people who aren't necessarily in a majority group. Um to to do spread spread the wealth so to speak yeah yeah I feel like when you really start getting into the work it's just like there are unlimited ways you can apply it like where you spend every dollar of your business who you elevate who you promote who yeah. you collaborate with like there it's just it's really important I think to have as a sort of like in the back of your mind with every decision you're making um, to make sure that you're being as inclusive and accessible to as many people as possible. And like I say this as someone who has not done this perfectly and is always a work in progress around it. Um, and as someone who's who wishes that I'd done a lot more earlier, but it's been really important for me to think about. And I've, I have made some changes and I think just acknowledging that it's always going to be a work in progress. Like you said, like we'll always be evolving and just the more we can keep that message present at the top of our minds as we make decisions, I think the better. Yeah. I think that like, if I I love that, it's a lifelong journey. It's a, a very circuitous process because we don't really know, right? Like we have a very limited perspective in our own lived experience. And if we don't open it up to others, it becomes even more sort of tunnel visioned. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And so I really want to encourage people. I, I really don't love the way that some people are doing it and like calling people out. Although like that's, that can be really effective. I think that we all have to challenge each other and challenge ourselves to be more inclusive and find ways, creative ways to elevate voices. Like you said, to spend more money with people who don't look like us, um, to recognize our privilege in all the ways that they come. Um, -hmm. right. And to, to do the work, it's so hard to do the work, but it really is very much a part of the process, both the lived process, but also like the business process as well. Right. Yeah. I feel like we just talked about like how to do what's right. I don't I don't like putting that into the category of doing good because I feel like it should just be a baseline I that we that's, behave, that's behave what we that way. Doing. Yes. Yeah. Like we don't get extra credit for doing that. Um, so I don't want to have that in like the let's talk about doing good with your business part of the conversation. But as a segue, let's talk about 
using your business for good. This is something that I associate you with very closely. Um, When you think about ways that a small business can make a positive impact on the world, what are some of the things that come to mind? Yeah, I think that there's a lot of different things and it kind of ties into spending your money. (laughs) Um, But Mm -hmm. one of the ways that you can do this is every dollar that you spend, you spend it like with a lot of um, conscientiousness and Mm -hmm. yeah, it's easier to buy things on Amazon period. Right. Like there's nothing wrong with Amazon, but like, where could you also be spending your money? If you were sending a client gift that doesn't need to be there tomorrow, could you spend that money elsewhere? Right. With a small business owner, or if you're buying a book, do you really need it tomorrow with Amazon or could you, you know, get it with a small, uh, uh, independent bookstore? Just like thinking mm-hmm. through some of those things is really important, but to, to back up from that, to zoom back, I think the more important question is what, what are the issues that are most important to you? Um, whether it's social mm-hmm. issues or political issues or um, what, what other things could there be, right? Like what are the causes that are most important to you? And thinking about like, how does this tie into my business and how can I make that happen? Look, there, there's a lot of causes that you don't necessarily need to be tied to your business. I think that you could be super passionate about mm-hmm. something and not have it be tied to your business. And you can pay for those things or subsidize those things or support those things and donate. Um, from your personal funds. But I think that if there is a natural segue from your business to um, a nonprofit or a good cause, then could you bake it into your business to um, send X percent of your revenue or X number of dollars per month to a good cause? And, you know, thinking that through. One of the things that I think that's really interesting is I've gotten a lot of feedback from people who are not my dreamy clients um, Mm. that have told me, why would people pay so much money to you to coach and then you turn that around and pay somebody else you know to to give them money and what's really fascinating to me is that i've never gotten that pushback from any of my actual paying clients (laughs) people will say something like oh my gosh i can't believe that you know, I was willing to already pay this to you and you're turning around and giving that money to a cause that I'm also passionate about. And mm-hmm. that's the quote unquote normal response that I get from my dreamies because I, I think that when when you're aligned with the people that you care about and they care about you, um, it, it just becomes like an added bonus that you donate and contribute. Right. So what is your, you have a baked in social good component to your business. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Yes, absolutely. So, um, in my business, every, um, dollar, 10 cents of that dollar goes towards a good cause. So 10% of all of our, um, uh, profit goes towards our, our good causes. So, um, whether it's building schools, funding education, or donating to Kiva. Kiva is not really a donation. It's more like a micro loan. So it mm-hmm. helps other entrepreneurs build their businesses, which I really love. And I actually do this every single birthday for my own birthday. And I kind of catalyze other people to, to donate on behalf of my birthday. So that's kind of a fun mm-hmm. one too. So there's a lot of different ways that you can do this. You know, when, when you're starting your business, it's really hard to do that. But once you're profitable, I think you can start to bake it in and it makes it a lot easier. One other thing that I've seen other businesses do is um, they will have a particular sale 
during a uh, like a season and they will fundraise for something that's that's baked into the sale um, cost of sale and um, that's the way that they donate so there's a lot of different ways that I've seen people do it um, some people also do pro bono work so mm-hmm. I have a client who um, is really amazing at doing a resume review and like career coaching and she does this for military spouses for free and she has like I think it's like three people per Mm -hmm. quarter so like one person per month that she will like for free do this for because military spouses as as a military spouse I told her get this we move a lot and oftentimes we don't get a lot of support from the military and it's really difficult to to transport your business or your your work from one city to another country often Um, so yeah Mm -hmm. it's, it's really cool that people can do that and you're not you're 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 investing your time but you're not necessarily investing your dollars so there's a lot of ways that you can do this and there's really no excuse if there's something that you're really passionate about doing yeah I really like that point that you know maybe if you're not in the point yet in your business where financially you're able to give back to the causes you care about thinking about if there are any skills you have or any ways you can donate your time or your expertise um I love that thought Yeah, I think it's like making sure that you decide if this is something that's important to you from the get go is kind of it's never too it's never too late. But I think that one of the things to consider is like, if if this kind of model is important to you, when do you start doing it? And like, when when are you like, sometimes I hear people making excuses, (laughs) even if they are profitable. Um, Mm -hmm. So yeah, it's like, if this is important to you, like, let's let's make a plan to do it. Yeah. I started from the very beginning and I was like lucky enough that my partner like was able to carry some of the weight financially when I left my full time job. So I could afford to donate from right off the bat. And I'm for me like that worked really well because there is never like it's just always been like a almost like a tax, like five percent of profits always go out. Like I never consider them mine to begin with. And that has, yeah, it's just felt really easy to do it. And maybe it feels easy anyway, but I can imagine that, you know, if you're making, I don't know, that if you're making a lot of money and then all of a sudden you make this declaration that 5% or 10% or whatever is going to, I don't know, that might make a bigger impact on your business because it's like a more material amount of money that you're diverting away from what you're used to spending it on. So, yep. Absolutely. All right. So I have a few closing questions that I ask to everyone. Um, The first one is what is one business you admire and why? Ooh, this is super hard. Um, What is one business I admire and why? Oh, man. I think that I really admire people who have like incredibly nimble brands and people who are really like on top of their messaging. I really love, um, gosh, I'm trying to think of like, so Natalie Frank is like a cop out answer. Love Nat. And I think that she's Mm -hmm. doing some incredible things. I think that there's just a lot of talk about her. If just for anyone who doesn't know who that is. So Natalie Frank, um, was a wedding photographer for many, many years. Um, and she just is really super smart about like science, like psychology of 
business. She also is the founder of the Rising Tide Society, if you know about that, and Two Stays Together, and is now the, the lead of community, head of community for HoneyBook. And I just really admire the way that she has grown her platform and just the way that she authentically connects with people. And she's the person who created the hashtag community over competition, which is like, you know, goes viral Mm -hmm. every single time. And, you know, it's just one of those things that I think she does a really wonderful job of bringing so many people in and making people feel welcome, which I think is a a unique Mm -hmm. skill. So yeah, I love, I love her and the way that she really authentically connects with humans and other, you know, just like creative business owners to feel really empowered. Mm -hmm. Love that. Um, What would be one, you know, related to the topic that we've been discussing mindset, doing good um, inclusion, what would be one book that you'd recommend related to this? Man, anything Brene Brown? I think that, um, <laughs> yeah. uh, what's the book? Oh my gosh, I can't remember the title of it. It's the wilderness one, the most recent, uh, Braving the Wilderness. Braving the, I was like, what is that book called? Braving the Wilderness <laughs> is a really good one. Um, because I think it helps us have really difficult conversations when we have a very strong, passionate belief and somebody else has a very opposing strong, passionate belief. And it helps us to have difficult, challenging conversations while still respecting the other person. Um, And it's really hard to do that right now. It's really hard to not agree with somebody when you have a very strong conviction um, uh, and not kind of lose your brain about it. I think that she does a really wonderful job of elevating other voices. I really admire her personal brand even though she's like a science, you know, she's a social worker and a researcher, but she also makes her research mainstream and consumable for so many people to be able to relate to her because she's super like quirky and funny, but also like very like uh, scientific and believes in the data. Um, so yeah, every book that she's written, I would absolutely recommend. It's not really like along the diversity inclusion line, but I think for her, it's, it's really about like who she is and how she shows up and how she brings other people along for the ride. Mm-hmm. Cool. Well, anything else you want to add in there before we talk about where people can find you? Oh man, I think this conversation was so fun. I feel like I could, I, I, I really just feel like the diversity inclusion part, I wish I could have had a better explanation of why this is so important. It keeps coming back to me like, why is this important? And I can't articulate it. It's just like, I want this to be part of the fabric of who we are as a society and like how we should do it always. And for people who are in the minority to not have to shirk away and feel like they're going to be ostracized or discriminated against or not have a place at the table and like it doesn't need to be a one one color table and it's very frustrating for me so like I am a I'm an ally and I'm imperfect and I want to get it right and I want to learn more and how I can do this better um so yeah I'm just like kind of like my internal debate about this conversation is like I want to do better and I want to do like I, I don't think I did this conversation justice but I like please keep this conversation going with me I would love to hear your thoughts and feedback and like hear from you about like how I can uh do better so let's let's have that combo Well, I think that is such great modeling of just 
I, I think if you think you have this all figured out, like that's a problem. You, I think we have to be really open to, and I don't mean you, Raina, but broad generally, like, sure. yes. Um, I think we have to be open to continuing to get it, get it better. And like you said, evolving. So I, I think that it's normal and probably a good thing that, I mean, I know I feel this way, like not knowing exactly where to go, but being willing to take actions forward anyway is I think what we need to do. Yeah, for sure. It's like it's an ongoing battle and we're going to keep keep fighting the good fight. Yeah, perfect. Well, I just went I I tried the link that you mentioned earlier and it does work. So for the the CEO report that everyone should definitely go check out, it's Raina and Co dot co slash CEO dash report. In addition to that. Could you let people know where you like to hang out, where is best to connect with you and how to learn more about your work if they're interested? Yeah, absolutely. So I teach a course called Jimmy Client Magnet in which the the first module is about how to bake this good stuff into your business from the get-go, if that's the kind of person you are. So you can come check us out over at Jimmy Client Magnet. But um, otherwise, I'm hanging out over at rainandco.com or Instagram, which is probably the easiest place to DM me. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at Raina and Company. Perfect. Well, Raina, this is a dream come true to have you on the podcast. I've been, you know, you've been at the top of my list of someone to talk to, like I said, ever since the idea of the podcast first started sort of emerging. So I'm, I'm really so grateful you. for your time <laughs> and your wisdom. And thank you. This is awesome. Thanks for having me. Raina, thank you so, so much for coming onto the podcast and for all of the gems that you shared. I am not at all surprised by all that you had to offer, but I am so grateful. I know Raina and I would both love to hear from you. You can connect with Raina on Instagram at Raina and Company, R-E-I-N-A-A-N-D-C-O-M-P-A-N-Y, and me at Making Good Podcast. You can learn more about Raina and her work on her website at RainaAndCo.com. You can find all the links and resources we discussed on the show notes page at MakingGoodPodcast.com slash 16. If you enjoyed this episode, I would love for you to leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher. Thank you so much for tuning in. Talk to you next time.